You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? TheElephantInTheRoom.com.au Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp and we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. Well, this is a bit of an episode with a difference. Now, full disclaimer, Chris is going to interview me, okay, which means we're going to be talking all about how a buyer's agent might be able to add value to your property search, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly around buyer's agents, and I guess what we do, what we charge for it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when I say full disclaimer, I don't want you to feel like this whole episode is going to be a sales pitch for me, my business, or buyer's agency. But Chris has said that he's finding it difficult dealing with his clients who a bit know it all at times. <laughs> and he is getting a little bit frustrated. Um, buyers not fully understanding the risk that they're taking when they're buying a property. So he said, look, can I interview you? I want to quiz you. I want to find out all the, the dirt about buyer's agents so that the listeners can understand better, I guess, how they can add value. So there you go. I'm at Chris's mercy. You're at our mercy because I'm going to answer his questions and hopefully help you guys in the process. The reason I was keen to do this episode was a kind of a bit of a go-to source that if clients are considering, you know, using a buyer's agent to to talk through, I guess, some of the things that they're thinking about, to, to highlight some of the value where a buyer's agent's potentially, uh, they think the value is, but it's not, and whether potentially they don't know it is and it is, and just start to talk about that. But I think the best way to do this is uh, for me to pretend I'm a new client of Veronica's. And <laughs> uh, so I'm going to... Uh, just probably I'm not. Get, I haven't told her anything. She doesn't know anything about I've got this. No idea. I promise about this episode. But <laughs> um, I'm just going to pretend I'm a new client, and I want you to kind of see how you can start to talk me through the process and win me as a customer. Oh, uh, because I think that would be interesting <laughs> for me to hear what your pitch is. Really, where, mm. where, what, what is the value, and where is it? Because you know, how long, how many years have you been a buyer's agent for now? Well, God, I'm coming up to 13 years as a buyer's agent, 20 years in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is interesting because, of course, I do have a sort of set list of questions that I do go through with potential clients because I want to know, obviously, what's driving them, what they want to achieve. You know. So let's go for it then. I've called you now. I'm going off the bat here. This yeah. is out of my memory because I don't have these questions with me, but that's okay. But no, that's okay. Let's, yeah. let's, I've, I've okay. just called you up. Mm. You know, what do you want to, what, what do you really want to know? So first thing I want to know is, well, okay, are you looking to buy a home or an investment? This is a home. A home. Okay. And how long have you been looking for a home? Uh, we've been thinking about it for two years. Right. Think. So when you say thinking about it, have you um, been out looking at property or you just been sort of considering that you, you need a home? Uh, we're always looking at property. We're, we're, 
uh, you know, flicking the paper. We're always looking at things that are selling in the area and, and things like that. But we haven't really gone too much out to look at property because we're a bit scared of, you know, we're going to fall in love with something. Uh-huh. So what's led you then to decide that now's the time to put your toe in the market and actually start getting serious? Uh, well, there's a lifestyle need. We, we have a family and that's going to drive us. We, we want to have more space. Um, but also um, we think potentially it's a good time. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me about what you've been looking for and where? Uh, well, we... We've been looking in, say, the north of Sydney um, because, you know, my wife's family is from that area. Um, but also we've been looking in the east because we spend a lot of time over there. Um, and then, But we also like going to all the cafes and stuff in the inner west. Right. Okay. So at this stage, um, it's fairly open slather by the sounds of it. And, and have you gone through the process of working out what your budget is going to be? Um, yeah, we... we just generally don't want to spend more than, you know, we like this as low as possible, really. Um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe 1.3. Right. And what are you hoping to get for 1.3? Well, every, everything that we want, I guess. <laughs> Which is? Uh, well, Bedrooms, we want... bathrooms, parking, style of house. Hit me with it. Well, really, we probably want, like, uh, we're probably going to have another one. So it's, we've got one. We might have another child. So we want at least three. Um, my parents aren't from... Sydney mm-hmm. and so they they we need somewhere for you know friends and stuff to stay so ideally maybe another bedroom um yeah and what um I guess when you've been online and looking around have you actually seen anything that you liked and you thought that you would have gone for um yeah we saw something in the north that we really liked but we never went and saw it so we just saw something online but mm. um I guess it was a nice looking house, so we, we were attracted to that. And what did it sell for? One point four. Okay, so your budget's already under a bit of stress, isn't it? You mentioned that you want to spend one point three, or you don't want to spend more than one point three. Um, is that because of your comfort level? Is that because of your budget? Is that because of what the broker has told you you can borrow? Where do, where does that figure come from? Uh, I just think it's just something we don't. You know, we don't want to have that additional stress in our life of a big mortgage. Um, yeah, we want to still go on holidays and do these things and, um, you know, eat out at cafes and not have to make it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that that is a struggle. I mean, the first time you have a mortgage, I'm presuming this is your first home or have you had? Uh, you my wife had a apartment um, and uh, with her ex Okay. <laughs> so it'd be your first mortgage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a big thing taking on a mortgage for the first time and a lot of people do have that that um, sticker shock, if you like, in terms of repayments and that does feel like an enormous responsibility. Okay, so, but I'm already sensing a bit of a trouble ahead, if you like, because one, you're, um, you haven't been out and about, so therefore you're, you're yet to find out exactly what you can get for your money. And then that can often be a challenge. Mm. So, okay, so so we've got the idea that the one property you have seen sold for hundred grand more than you want to spend. Mm. Okay, so have you got your finance approved? Um, yeah, you yeah. do. We we uh yeah we went to the bank um and we asked for a pre approval up to one point three. Yeah, and the bank said, yeah, we can do that. Okay, so you haven't actually asked the question, what could we get if we needed? No, we told the bank that we wanted didn't want to spend more than one three, and then yeah. the bank person mm. took um, what we said and 
gave what we want. Mm, okay. And in terms of where do you see yourself, say, in five years' time? Um, we see ourselves staying in Sydney. Mm-hmm. We don't see ourselves living anywhere else. And you, in this house? Uh, yeah, potentially, yeah. Yeah. So, and you've got one child so far. How old's that child? Um, 22 months. Right. <laughs> Quite specific. Um, so most parents are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. they and you're planning until they're about three or something, yeah, and then, they, then they start saying years. Yeah, you know, there's also <laughs> there, there's this there's this key um, points at which we see people want to buy a house or want to upgrade as well. So I'm, I'd be keen to know what you're thinking in terms of schooling. Have you thought that far ahead? Have you thought about, you know, you know where you want to settle for the longer term? Um. Yeah, we we thought about uh, public school. Um, I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's a good little local one, but we haven't really thought too much cause we just thought, well, wherever we live, we're just going to send them to the local public school. Okay. We haven't really, uh, I guess thought of private schools and things like that. Okay. So that's not a big, big driver for you, you know, the schools or where you're hoping little Johnny is going to. It potentially is. Mm. We just haven't thought about that. Right. That's the first time someone's asked me that question. Mm, okay. And the other question for you is if this house, have you sort of considered whether or how you might outgrow this property and when that might happen? Um, no, well, that's probably the challenge we're in now. We're, we've got an, we're in an apartment and we think that that's not possible because it's the little ones now running, mm-hmm. um, and we can't keep up for that. So there might be another one. So we we're probably feeling that pain now, but we haven't thought, we just think we need something bigger. Mm. So we haven't thought. We need something bigger and bigger for when the kids. How much bigger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just thought we need something bigger. And what about you and your partner? Wife? Husband? Wife. Yep. <laughs> Got to be yep. careful here. <laughs> Got to be careful. Um, so you're, you and your wife, are you on the same page? Do you think that you really are completely in alignment in terms of what you're after? Uh, my wife thinks we're completely on the same page, but I think sometimes we're off the same page. Right. <laughs> it's often the case. Um, okay. And... What has led you to actually, I guess, put the feelers out and think, I might need some help? What do you see as the greatest challenges ahead for you? Um, I think the greatest challenge is finding the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The greatest challenge. And then once you've found it, then what? Do you, do you foresee any other challenges? Oh, I, well, I, I think I can negotiate. I mean, I do this sort of stuff at work. Mm-hmm. So I think that I'll be able to negotiate and deal with the agents. And when have you dealt with agents before? Uh, yes. Well, we've you know when we kind of go to open homes, mm-hmm. sometimes they do, and they follow up, don't they, every Monday? And sometimes, yep. <laughs> they, calls. they follow up in a buyer's market. They won't follow you up much in a seller's market. Right. Um, and when you said that the your biggest challenge was finding the property, what do you foresee, what do you sort of anticipate to be the solution to that? Um. Well, I, I think you just do your normal sort of domain real estate. Sort of, you know, going around the agents and the weekends and asking if they've got stuff coming on and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only options you've got. So, what's the challenge for you then? If you've if you're able to do that, why would you consider that you might need help? Well, I think that, uh, that not only is finding the property, the problem is that someone else might find it, and so they might get it before me and etc. So it's about not only just I don't might not even know about it. You know, mm. if, if it just comes on and it goes. and Okay. So it's the, it's the speed 
at which you might need to act and the competitive situation. They're also challenges you're, you're anticipating. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope not, but yeah, probably, but yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And what are you reading about the, the market at the moment? I guess what, what are you paying attention to in terms of market commentary? Well, I know it's been pretty poor and that uh, now it's a good time to buy because there's, you know, there's a market's rising again. And so, um, yeah, I've been told that I probably should just go out and buy and it's, you know, there's now or never was an article I read yesterday. Now or never. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. That's certainly um, putting some pressure on buyers, isn't it? Mm. Okay. So in terms of your, just going back to sort of where you were saying you were looking, you said you like the East because, you know, you like the cafes and all the rest of it. You, oh, the inner West, yeah. Oh, sorry, the cafes in the inner west. You you spend a bit of time in the east, so you like the east. Um, and then the North Shore, obviously, is where your wife's family are from. And yes. sort of, you know, there's some connections there, family connections there. What, I guess, how confident are you in terms of your knowledge of, of the type of property you can get, where exactly it's going to be, and how much that's going to cost you? Well, we don't really know, to be honest. I think... Um yeah, we, we don't know how to compare. Well, we don't haven't really visualized what we can get in that market or that market and that market. Mm. So we don't really know what, uh, yeah, what's, what's the best move for us. Yeah. We're actually looking for advice to someone to tell us which is the best, but we don't actually know what's best. Yeah. And also we haven't touched on capital growth at this point of time. And well, it's my home, so I don't. You're not worried about it? No. <laughs> it's amazing how many people say that. Um, what I would want to talk to you about is that in because in your time frame, you know, you don't have a finite time frame in terms of how long you may or may not own this property, how long you may or may not uh, enjoy it before you may or may not need to upgrade, for instance, and we mm. haven't sort of gone into that, and that's, that's a big deeper conversation. Um, Going up in value, I mean, would you be surprised to know that some properties go up in value more than others in the same suburb? Oh, yeah, well, it's, I guess so, yeah. But, I mean, I think that generally still they all perform pretty similar, though, because the market all goes up together. and Yeah, and that is a, that is something that a lot of people actually believe. And then when they sort of sit down and look deeper, they actually realise that, Oh, actually, it doesn't really behave that way. And if I mm. bu if I buy wisely now, I'm going to be better positioned down the track. And so, therefore, there's a lot of moving parts in in your search thus far that I've sort of just thinking about in terms of what I'd like to talk to you in more depth about. Mm. Um, so, fundamentally, what it, like I say, it, I haven't found out a good um, analogy for this, but mm. you know, it takes a village to raise a child. You often hear that. And it sort of takes a village to buy a property. <laughs> right. So, and what I mean by that is that, so I'm a buyer's agent, right? Mm -hmm. I can advise you on property selection and what it's worth, how much you should pay for it, how to negotiate for that, all that sort of stuff. Um, how to handle auctions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, there's a lot of decisions that get made in the whole lead up to buying a property, then when you own it and then down the track when you sell it as well. Yes. And so anticipating what a lot of those could be is very important to get you you know, to make sure that you're getting good advice from a lot of different sources mm. um, throughout the whole journey. And you did mention that you've been dealing with a bank, for instance, mm. and sometime, And you also mentioned that you told the bank what you wanted to get finance for and they've come back to you saying, well, there you go, you can be pre-approved. Yep. Sometimes um, 
a broker can actually add more value. And this is not pissing the pocket of, of Chris, by the way, listeners. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but this is one of the reasons I do like brokers is because brokers can advise on borrowing strategy and they can also ask a lot of questions about the future and possibilities yep. as well because maybe, for argument's sake, depending on your financial situation, this might at some future point become an investment property or it might be that you renovate it or there's a whole mm. bunch of possibilities. And if we anticipate at the outset what some of those things could be, you're going to have a, a greater understanding of, of making sure you structure it right at the outset. Mm -hmm. um, but also in terms of the property search, we're going to have an under, a better understanding about what the possibilities are for the property search. So that's just one example of where getting advice, the right advice from different quarters throughout mm -hmm. a property um, search or property journey is very important. So that's the very first thing I'd be talking to you about is that I'd want to make sure that you had a full understanding of what your capacity was. Yep. Because once you know exactly what your capacity is in terms of total borrowing capacity, then we can find out exactly what you want. And that is current wants and needs in terms of lifestyle and, and actual accommodation, but also future wants and needs in terms of schooling, in terms of how many kids you're planning on having. Um, so do I need to go back to the, do I need to go test my borrowing capacity before? Yeah. And that's not to say that you need to spend that money. It's because you need to fully understand what your possibilities are in terms of capacity before you go down the path of looking at property. And the reason I say to do it that way around, and isn't so much to encourage you to spend more money, as I said, but the, particularly in a rising market as we have now, you've touched on, you said you think now might be a good time to buy because the prices are moving. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, I hear alarm bells with that because it's like really 2018 was a great time to buy. It's just most buyers were sitting on their hands waiting for a good time to buy. And it's like the good time to buy is when nobody else is buying. Now prices are moving again. And of course everyone says, oh, it's a good time to buy. Um, it's social proof. You know, we look around and we're encouraged by the fact other people are buying. And so that's a dangerous time for buyers. So in this particular instance with you, you know, you've, you've but got. I can't wait any longer because, you know, that's going to miss the market, right? Well, so. exactly. You've, what I mean is you've sort of left the best time to buy it a little bit in the past. So the best time to buy is really when you are ready yep. to buy. Mm. Um, and then it's about finding the right property. But first of all, before that, we so in order so you're not chasing the market, mm. let's sort of get you fully understanding your capacity so mm. that you don't then go out there and do what so many other buyers do, which is basically starting one suburb, suburb, they're looking around, they go, oh, I can't really get what I want for 1.3. Oh, I will look at another suburb. And then I look and I think, oh, I don't really like that suburb. Go back to the first suburb. You're doing this sort of zigzagging thing that happens. And by that time, prices have risen. And then you go back to the bank and you actually get more money. And you so, end up. So prices have risen because it's taken me, because prices are rising and it's taken, I've gone to one suburb that's, mm. and I've just not, not sure what I can get. Yeah. And then I take the timing issue. People take years sometimes doing this. Mm. This process can take years. And particularly if the couple isn't completely on the same page as well. Because mm. what often happens is you've got one who's doing all the research and they're really up to date with what prices are. And the other one isn't necessarily up to date. They go and look at property and go, are you kidding me? I'm not paying that for that. That's crazy. The market's insane. I'm not buying. You know, so there's this sort of stuff that goes on in the background. So in order to circumvent that. Well, that does something happen in my family. I'm the one who's looking at the apps all the time and mm. I've got the notifications. My wife doesn't. She's less engaged. She uh, <laughs> decides on the maybe, not, this is not stereotypical mm. at all, yes. uh, can be completely the other way. And I've got lots of clients who, you know, it's the other mm. way around. Um, but. 
yeah, the, you know, one party generally is mm. the more actively engaged person yeah. um, and is also carrying a lot of the stress of the potentially the decision mm. because they're investing so much time and energy into it that they really want the outcome because they've and done so much to research. they convince their partner as well. Yeah. It's and then work. the mm. partner might be, and I've uh, had this recently where, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that one party didn't want to buy the property and one did. Mm. Um, and it was complete mismatch. Um, did they where, buy it? Well, they bought, they bought it and, you know, it was a great investment and, you know, it's a great thing, but, you know, there was one party that potentially wanted more than what they got and the reality is the market couldn't do mm. couldn't get that. And, you know, one wanted to take action and one wanted to wait and mm. try to get the perfect property. And, yep. um, and so that's, it's a real problem when you've got yep. two parties and one's doing the research and one's not doing yep. the research because it just can take years. Well, that's mm. until they go to five auctions, they get blown out. And then the other person says, I've got to get involved here. Mm. And then they get to the shock that they can't get what they want. We had, yeah, numerous times in my office over the last boom where yeah. we had people, met couples like that. And, and yeah, so. And so what they do is they leave the market. Mm, they do. Then they go in the foxhole and they, yeah. they disappear. And then they come out and they go, oh, my God, now I'm going to buy an apartment, whereas before I could have bought a house, for argument's sake, or I've got two bedrooms less than I was going to get, yeah. or I'm not in the suburb I want to be in. Or, well, this happened yeah. to a client literally last night. I got a pretty, you know, horrible text, actually. She thought she'd bought an apartment. Um, you know, was told by the agent that she'd got it, mm-hmm. come to our office um, and sign the contract. Mm. And uh, went and signed the contract. They, you know, pushed her around for four or five hours, said, oh, you know, we'll come back to you. Can't get the, uh, wasted time. Mm. And then said, oh, we've got an investor that's paying. It's going to give us more. And then went to a silent bidding war. Um, so we and, ju- we're jumping around a bit here. But, I mean, <laughs> as an example, we'll, we'll shift mm. back. But, you know, that was just an example where, you know, the, you know, just completely didn't know, right? And, well, that's um, that's a classic example of being completely and utterly out of depth yeah. and not realising you're out of depth until you're already swimming. Yeah. And and so it's, it's like I use the analogy of, um, you know, I run on the football field, not that I've ever run on a football field just quietly. Well, maybe when I was a kid, <laughs> but, you know, I run on the football field. I, I think I'm playing rugby league mm. and I suddenly look around and there's all this weird stuff going on with the ball and I'm like, oh, what? Oh, there's the rules that are completely different. Mm. I find myself actually playing AFL yep. and I don't know what I'm doing. The ball's a different size and shape and, you know, and the rules are different. <laughs> and that that's a bit what yep. happens to buyers when they, they go into this negotiation thinking they know what they're doing, thinking they know what the rules are, and then they suddenly discover and it's too late because they're in it okay. and they're thinking under pressure and that is when they make terrible decisions and then panic decisions and um, horrible. Anyway, so let's rewind. Okay, back so we go back to. I'm going to go back to the broker. Mm. I'm going to figure out what my borrowing capacity yeah, is, but yeah. I'm also probably going to find out my repayments, the difference of what the repayments will be mm. on those higher mortgages. And you should be, you know, with your broker as well, talking about things like buffers and talking about ways to to give yourself. Um, you know, protection against unforeseen things or having another baby or those sorts of setting itself up so that you're not actually backing yourself into a corner financially. Um, and okay. that's what a good broker will be able to have those conversations with you. Okay. So I had this conversation with the bro. The bro said I can borrow one seven. Mm. Um, that's our max. And you don't want to, of course. We I can't. We, you know, we are. We do want to spend mm. one three. But, yeah. you know, based on our incomes and our deposits and, yeah. and that still gives us a buffer. We, you know, um, and he also said we should potentially go for... Uh, LMI or 
Um, Lenders we can mortgage get, insurance. We can yeah. get a bit of a discount on that because I'm a CPA uh, <laughs> or, uh, yep. you know, et cetera. Yep. So, but we've, we've found out that we can borrow more and potentially mm-hmm. the repayments um, aren't that as much more than we thought they were going to be. Yep. Um, we can still afford it, but we still want to kind of spend maybe that one, four, one, five. Yeah. And that's great because the reality is now you've got a clearer idea of where you can push yourself to if you find the perfect property. Yeah. Right. So let's let's go through the process now that you've got that clarity and say, well, how do we educate you so that you can make decisions on where you should be focusing your property search? Mm. And so the very first thing that we will take all of our clients through, and certainly a search client, we offer various services. So let's just yep. talk about search for the moment. And we offer this as a standalone service as well, this this onboarding process, if you like. But we also, it's it's fundamental to our search. And that is, we call it a getting started session. It's a very boring name, okay? mm. but you know, it does what it says in the tin, you know, it mm. gets you started. Um, and what we want to do, we want to understand there's three P's in every property search, right? There's the price or your budget, there's the property itself, and then there's the position or the location, right? Three P's. And this is something that absolutely crystallized to me when we were filming the show, actually, because mm. every single time you'd actually come up with this three issues, one of those P's is going to flex more than the other two. It's always the way. It's like the human condition of buying mm. property. No one can get everything they want because the more money you've got, the more you want. So it's just this, we're all striving for a bit more than what we've, you know, what we've got in our bank account or what we've got at uh, accessible in terms of money. So I'm willing to be flexible on one of these three or is the properties willing to be flexible? No, this is you. So this is you finding out. It's a discovery session so that you will actually through an educator, I'll be educating you as to what the possibilities are for your search so that you can actually determine yourself what you're prepared to be most flexible on. So what, what are you going to ask me that can figure out which yeah. P I'm going to be flexible on? There you go. So, and it's also you got a wife as well here. So we've got two She's of you. She's here now. Yeah, hello. Yeah. It's very nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I want you both to do, I want you both to fill in a full property wish list for me. And I'll give you this to fill in, right? Yeah. So, and both of you grab a glass of wine each separately, fill this thing in separately. Yeah. People who cheat and, and, you know. Same room? Nah, I think you should go in separate rooms. I don't think you should talk. I think you should actually. Is the wine uh, helping the situation? Though? Wine definitely helps the situation. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a teetotal, get yourself a lovely cup of herbal tea. Yeah. Um, but sit down and go through because our, our wish list asks a whole bunch of stuff about the property, about your lifestyle, about your future, all those sorts of things, right? So what we will then do... When you say if, lifestyle, is it things that w- what's... In, I mean, I can understand the property. You may have any mm. bedrooms and maybe light and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the lifestyle, what, what, what sort of questions are you asking oh, there? How do you get to work? Um, okay. What do you do on weekends? You know, where do your family live? Like schooling, all, all those sorts of things. Because, mm. because when we get to the P, the position P, and we have a systematic way of going about this, but when we get to the position P... What we're then thinking is, well, if the budget is fixed, right, which it is for many people, if the property requirements are fixed as they are for many people, then they can't and then they can't afford those what they want in the suburbs that they really want to be in. Then we have to look at where else will you enjoy living, where you're more likely to get the property that you want for the budget that you've got. So that's interesting. So let's say we want a. Uh, you said about. You know, after a discussion with my wife, and sorry she's been a bit quiet here, she's not saying too much, but um, she, we've agreed that we're going to go from 1.3 to 1.5. That's our absolute limit mm. for the perfect property. Mm. And we do want, say, four bedrooms because um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, or it, it can be three if it's potentially, you know, yeah. we could have a spare bed, you know, in a, in a second living room or something like that. Mm. But, um, yeah, so what? how would, how would you then kind of – We've got the property mm. per se and we've got the price – well, what we're going to do, what want to know, what want, what I want to know is all this stuff about you, right? Mm. Then we go away and we research recent sales because right. at the end of the day, the most compelling evidence for you is going to be what actually has sold, not what's on the market, not what the agents are quoting now, you know, but what has sold very recently. And so the first thing we do, we look at well, look at exactly what you've told us you want. And we, and we look at both of your wish lists and sometimes there's immediate hurdles we need to discuss and tackle as well. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, most of the time, there's majority is, is overlapping. It's just a couple of little bits and pieces that may be outliers. So what we want to do is say, well, what could you have bought in the last, say, three months that has met your budget, met your property requirements and met your position requirements? And look, sometimes there are a few options there and sometimes there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so that's very telling in itself. How deep are you going on this property though? Are you just looking at... Like three bedrooms in Kalara. Well, we're looking at what has sold in that area that according to what you've told us you want would meet your brief. And are you double matching that for other things you wanted from a property like we wanted a second living area or we wanted yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're going quite deep to make yeah. sure exactly what absolutely. we want. Absolutely. Yeah. So we see how many met your requirements. And if it's nothing, then well then we're gonna have a conversation about that. Mm. And if it's a lot, well, okay, happy days, but it's very unusual. Usually there's a few, but there's something wrong with them all and you didn't like them or whatever, you know. So we, we're going to look at that first. The next are you thing... explaining that to us, why those potentially? Because mm. we have looked mm. and there are properties out there that have ticked yep. our boxes. Are you yep. then explaining why potentially they are cheaper or why yeah. they're not great investments? Absolutely, yeah. And talking about the pros and cons because we like our clients to make decisions with their eyes wide open. Mm. And so that means an educated client makes educated decisions. So sometimes people do decide to buy what we would term a B or a C grade property, but for them, it makes sense. And then we've got to be extra careful, obviously, on the price they pay, but they've got their eyes wide open. They're making very clear decisions with very good reasoning, right? Um, Let's say we found some, you found some properties and they, we've got the properties out there and there are properties out there that have sold. Are you potentially going to know the backstory of why they potentially sold for a good price? We often do, yeah. And it might have just been one, one, you know, one lucky buyer. You know, that's and sometimes too. Can I tell you, buyers hang their hat on one property that sold, that was a bargain, and it's like that was the one, and it's gone, and it's never going to happen again. You know, so sometimes you know you can fixate and go, but I'm waiting for the next one. It's like you can be waiting a long time. You might have to be waiting another lifetime. Yeah, I mean that definitely has happened mm. to some clients where they uh, they've seen one property sell within an area that they want to buy, and mm. that property is sold, and then that's given them the confidence to go yeah. out and buy. So then they've gone and entered the market, but they're not the only one thinking like exactly that. Exactly right. Um, you know, that's all of a sudden, mm. wow, we can buy in this suburb for yeah. under two mil. Let's call mm. it. Um, and then there's six people at the so open home all thinking the same thing, yeah. and then the next auction comes around and it sells at two one. Oh, well, there must be another one comes on and. Next one sells at 215 mm. and uh, everyone's still thinking about that one property and yeah. time's ticking over. That's And that's the, that is a, it, it does happen. So what we want to do is take you think, okay, so we looked at what has matched your brief, if anything's yep. matched your brief. Then we're going to say, right, now let's just for a moment suspend our understanding of your budget. What I want to do is show you how much money you need to buy the perfect property for you because we need to get this on the table. And this is this number is confronting. one, very confronting, but it has to be done. And so you don't want to spend 1.7 either, even though you can, 
Right. So we say, right, well. Do you take me to these? Are you taking me to these properties? No, we're showing you online. We, just online? We, we, we're looking at them online. They've all sold, you know. Have you pre-done this research? Yeah, absolutely. This has all been pre-done. So we sit there and very over a two-hour period we'll do this. Okay. Um, so we look at how much do you really need. Now, for some people, this is all they need to understand that they need to go to the top of their budget because they can see very clearly that if they do, they will get what they want, right? Mm. Other people don't have that flexibility of their budget. And so they have to basically realise they have to, you know, it's very painful, but they have to actually realise to stop chasing a dream that's never going to happen, you know. So what are you going to do there? Let's say well, I want at something at 1.8. Yeah. Are you well, going to tell me that I'm going to need to lose that third bedroom? Or? Well, then we'll go, okay, well, let's park that for a minute because you can spend a, long, a lot of time with your 1.7 budget you don't even want to spend because you only want to spend 1.5 and yet mm. I've just shown you the perfect property that sold 1.8. That means the next time it comes on the market, it's probably 1.85 anyway. Mm. Um, you're chasing the market and you don't actually have that budget. And I know this is a really hard conversation to be had and I'm sort of a bit gentler when I'm face to face with you. Yeah, we'll be. <laughs> um, you know, I'm but a little no. bit harsher with you right here now, but yeah. I mean, but this is a, you know, it, there's no point pussyfooting around this because if you, if you, don't accept and acknowledge this, you are going to miss the market. And that is more painful than sitting in a room with me or one of my team and having to acknowledge this stuff, you know, now because we can move forward and actually do something positive from now on. So, so you're, getting the, you're getting us aligned before we're searching. Yes. Okay. So you've... we haven't even moved on. I've got two more things to talk about. We've got okay. the property itself. So we say, okay, budget okay, are you going to extend your budget? No, I'm not. Well, no, I can't, right? Okay, good. Well, let's look at the property itself. So you've said you want four bedrooms. Here's what you can get with three bedrooms and one living area, and they're within your budget, you know, or you said you wanted 500 square metre block of land. Oh, these ones are 350. They're within your budget. Or you said you wanted a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house with parking. Well, they're outside of your budget, but there are townhouses in the area that are three-bedroom, two-bathroom with parking, and there's a bit of outdoor area and they're within your budget. So I'm looking at the actual property itself. Or I might say, well, you know what? You said you wanted a three-bedroom, two-bathroom and parking with, well, this outdoor space. Um, here's a property that is two-bedroom, um, potential for renovation down the track. You know, you're on a career trajectory. You expect to earn a lot of money down the track. You you might be in a position where you can actually add value to this. Would you be prepared to look at that? So we will go through those alternatives for you that keep you within your budget and in the area that you want to be in. And would you then tell me which one's potentially the better investment decision there as well? Well, we would discuss that, but that doesn't always factor into the decision-making of an owner-occupier. But well, yeah, because, I mean, I haven't, like, I can't go the two-bedroom option because we've got another one coming and, for example, and mm. I can't, or I can't, I, I, yeah. I'm, I, I think I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a business yeah. and that's going to take us a few years to get borrowing money. So yep. I can't do the renovation option. Exactly. and So, you know, but... So you know, we definitely if, do discuss that with clients. We've got to understand if they've got an upside to their income earning capacity down the track. And if they don't, then obviously we don't send them down the path of buying something to renovate because they're going to be stuck in it. Whatever it is, they're going to be stuck in that. Yeah, I think that's a, um, it's a definitely a, a wishful kind of rose-coloured glasses thing. I can afford the renovation in the future. And mm. um, you've got to be certain. I've got a client at the moment and um, got a terrace in Paddington. Um, he's got money. He wants to buy an investment property and uh, I don't know, he's, he's single dating someone, but, you know, it doesn't, who knows where that's going to go, mm -hmm. right? You never, never know, never yep. know in life. Um, 
And but he's potentially there's a massive upside in the Renault mm. just because it'll transform the property and increase the value. So it's great bang for buck. Mm. Also works in the industry, so he's known how to get it cheaper and do it. Um, so we can't sacrifice this Renault at all. So mm. and so if we go and buy an investment property and that then uses all his cash for the Renault, and then he can't do the Renault in a couple of years, mm. and then he has to sell the property or his life plan changes, he's gonna wish he did the Renault. And so you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, so you've just got to be careful of really understanding that you're going to be able to afford the Renault. Yeah. And look, so many, look, generally people will underestimate, um, what it costs Yes, and they'll true. overestimate their own ability <laughs> to get it done. That's true. Um, Go and, and get a quote on the Renault and then know that fixed building prices aren't fixed. I mean, five, six years ago, $4,000 a square meter, let's say, now mm. they're seven. I don't know. Yeah. And not only that, but you've got a lot of uh, on costs as well. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm literally three weeks away from moving into my house. I've been renovating it now for, since June. Mm. Um, it's a massive rebuild really. And, it, you know, I'm very, very excited by it. But even I have budgeted very tightly. There's been a couple of two un- unforeseen um, issues, right. both in subfloor. So that's okay. But, you know, I sort of knew that it may need to be a tackle, but that's at a sort of probably twenty five grand. Mm. Um, but then you add on, you've got to add on all the landscaping, all the external stuff. Mm. You know, I mean, they're they're additional costs that often people don't factor in. Yeah. Um, and and there's all the consultants fees, you know, yeah, as well. Exactly. So it's not just the actual build. Yeah. But you know, back to you know, so we want what we want to do when we're looking at that property P, mm. if you like, is is really what level of flex is there in the property itself in order to stay on within budget and within the area that you want to be in. And look, for some people, that is the decision. It's the, you know, it's, it's the ultimate property versus position, you know, property versus location. Um, and for some people, it's like, no, I can't. I cannot, um, you know, give up on anything, you know, the, the, or anything in terms of the accommodation of that property. I, I can't. I need it and I need it now. In which case we say, right, the budget's fixed, the property requirements are fixed, now we need to look at the location or the P position, the position P of the three P's, right? And this is where you can't the, have it all. <laughs> you can't have it all. I hate to tell you. So, so it's with, interesting though because people do go two ways. I've seen this as well. Like, mm. yeah, the price is sometimes inflexible because of borrowing capacity, yeah. and savings, and you is know, what it is. is what it is. Mm. So, uh, I'd love to spend two, but I can only borrow one. For yeah, one, let's say or yeah. whatever it is. Uh, but you're right. Like it is going those those two are flexing. Mm. I'm either potentially moving further away from where I'd ideally like to be yeah. um, and then potentially sacrificing um, my time for commute and potentially mm. my friends yeah. and then having to remake friends and networks mm. and new gym and all these sort of things that I've got set up yeah. to reconnect to a new community um, that might not be people that I'm used to and different etc. but I still get the house I want mm. still big or whatever size. Or I'm potentially having to reframe and maybe going and considering moving into a bigger apartment mm. for the first time or a townhouse or et cetera. And that's a valuable well, sort a of conversation. It's a continuum as well. And some mm. people are very, very clear as to what they're prepared to do. And some people are still living at the end of this session. So we, we will, it's why we need to understand your lifestyle and all the rest of it because you know, that term PLU, people like us, mm. well, you know, we all do. We want to be part of a community. We want to, we want to settle into an area where we, we can be part of it mm. and we can belong mm. and that connection. And so that's really important. So where, what we're looking at is, okay, well, where else can you get that? Mm. And so that's unique to everybody. I mean, and we'll often send people on homework afterwards to go, right, well, go and check this area out. Go and yep. sort of get a sense of the commute, get a sense of the people in the area, the parks, the, Da, 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 what are the cafes, whatever, 
you know, is important to you. And sometimes we, our clients come back and say, don't send us back there. That's so off beam. It's not funny. And I'm like, okay, cool. We know that now. We know that. Um, and other times I go, oh, my God, I had no idea. That's yeah. actually, a, you know, that, yes, I, I really liked it, you know. And so once we've got that, we can start working on, okay, well, let's look at more depth in terms of that, that area. We never give up on the ideal area as well because you never know one of those, you know, total flukes might happen. And, and But, so you know, if do, that's yeah. got 10% chance of happening versus a 90% chance of happening in another area, we've got to look at both. And see, individual buyers can't cover that sort of spectrum. They can't. They're either looking in the area where they don't really want to be, wishing all the time they could find something in the area they want to be, and that's going to stop them from buying, or they're looking in the area they want to be and they're always priced out and they're getting knocked out at auction constantly and it's yeah. stopping them buying where they can afford. And so either I like or, that percentage thing because, uh, you know, that's the thing I see exactly. You know, we, mm. there is a chance. It's not not going to potentially happen, mm. um, and but it's not put in a percentage term mm. or a likelihood um, and so it's because it could happen, we should just try. Yeah. But what the reality is, it's unlikely to happen. Yeah. And so what's happening is it's time's ticking. They're missing, and, they're, they're losing out. Yeah. And um, then over time, generally that odds are getting lower because mm. the budget's not going higher, right? No. And so the, you know, what was already unlikely to happen is now almost impossible. Mm. Um, and then they start to shift and then they go to the other suburb and then it's unlikely there and things like that. So I do think, yeah. Yeah. Yes, keep shopping in the market. That might happen, mm. but at least be having plan B underway before plan A. Sort exactly. Of, yeah. And look, a good buyer's agent is going to coach and guide you through this process. And I, I have to tell you, I, I, I'm not, not all buyer's agents are capable of doing this. Mm. A lot of them are very transactional. You tell them what you want, how much you want to spend, they go and find it for you. And then they bully you into buying it because they go, well, I gave you what you told me you wanted. And they haven't explored any of this stuff. And it really needs to be explored because it's not just for now, it's for the future. And often people, particularly when they've got kids at different ages, they don't actually know what's next. They don't know that things are going to change and their priorities are going to change. So would you say, I'm interviewing a few buyers agents, so I'm mm. not just, you know, you know I've just got the gig. Yep. I've uh, <laughs> been online. I've mm. got a few referrals from people and um, my mortgage broker sent to me some person yep. he knows and... Um, et cetera. So do you think that's a real good litmus test as well? Is the buyer's agent asking me these sort of real oh, 100%. property questions? Mm. Well, lifestyle, it's goals. It's it's so much more than just buying a, a house or an apartment because if you just focus on buying a house or an apartment, you've got a high probability of buying with regret. So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. A five star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. Experience-wise, I mean, do you think there's a, a minimum sort of years that someone needs to be doing a buyer's agent? I know that, you know, I've seen there's lots popping up online at the moment yeah. that have been doing it mm. two weeks. I know it's easy to say this when you've got the experience that everyone needs experience. It's mm. not giving the, the the new people a start. But oh. what's your view on 
for example, someone who's only been a buyer's agent for a couple of years, whether they've actually got the runs on the board. Right. I'm going to put it out there right now. I'm actually recruiting at the moment, mm. right? So anyone who wants to, anyone who is a buyer's agent or a real estate agent that is interested in working with me, reach out, info at goodddeeds.com.au. <laughs> but um, that's not why we're doing this, but I just thought I'd put it out there. One of the big challenges. We don't do any advertising on this podcast. No, I'm sponsored by Good Deeds this episode. Um, one of the big challenges for me when recruiting um, buyers agents, and I've resisted recruiting experienced buyers agents in the past, mm. mainly because, you know, you've got to unlearn a bunch of bad habits. Mm. Um, and and same with sales agents. You know, mind you, I haven't not to say I haven't recruited sales agents. In fact, in a way, I prefer someone to have been a sales agent because they understand the other side of the equation and that's invaluable. Mm. Um, But they've got to unlearn how to, they've got to unlearn to unlearn trying to sell a property to a client, right? So that's a very important thing. And the other thing that a lot of sales agents believe is that all property is good is just the price. And that's not true. And I believed that until I became a buyer's agent and really sort of applied much more critical thinking. So the real thing, and the problem is, of course, we're saying, oh, how much experience do you need? Is It's like you could have one year's experience 20 times or you could have 20 years cumulative experience mm. or two years cumulative versus one year times two. Mm. It's the layer upon layer upon layer of, of um, really deepening that experience that makes the difference. But let's say it's a one-person band and they've, just started to get into the industry and they've yeah, got really go no mentor. Yep. They've got no guidance. There's yep. no one there watching them or training no, danger. them. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the problem is with our industry. It's a low barrier to entry. It has been. And what the, education do you do to become a buyer's agent? Well, you, become, you get a, a license and that's it. Now, it is changing in New South Wales, um, but it hasn't changed yet. So, therefore, you can go and get a license without any experience and you can actually become a buyer's agent and start working with How people. fast could you do that? Uh, well, I think the quickest is five days or something. Um, so it just, I mean, so that's obviously an issue and that is mm. creating, uh, more people to enter. Cause I think it's become a cool job by as agents. Yeah. Uh, it does seem to be that In the last way. couple of years, <laughs> I think there's a, mm. you know, I feel like there's lots of people just becoming buyers agents. Yeah. They're popping up a lot. Mm. Um, but Cause I like helping people. And I like property mm. and, and unfortunately, I've and I've done it myself and I've built yeah. an investment portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, look, that is extraordinarily dangerous. And um, so, what sort of places can I go to avoid? To avoid that? Yeah. Look, the first thing I, I say always look for a member of REBA, R E B A A. That's the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia. Now, it's not a guarantee, it's not fail safe, let me tell you. But you don't vouch for all REBA members? Well, I, I don't vouch for all buyers agents. Let's just say <laughs> it that way. The thing with, at least with REBA, <laughs> You know, and, and I used to be the vice president. So in, in, in my time when I was there, we actually in we put in place a learner membership category. And we also, I can't remember if the provisional was there at the time, but we made a distinction between provisional and, and sort of um, yep. full members much clearer. And so it's actually a way for people entering the industry to actually get into a community of at least exclusive buyers agents who are not taking commissions and kickbacks from other sources. And that, that that's really important that you have to pay the buyers agent yourself. Otherwise somebody else is paying them, which means that their, um, their loyalty is not hundred percent to you. Right. So that's an important distinction. Yeah. I so, think um, while we've done over a hundred episodes, sometimes I think that, you know, it's just this morning I've literally got a email, um, 
from a client or not really a client. He's not a client yet, but he's saying, you know, what's your thoughts on buying a property in super? And uh, mm. I'm a bit unsure about, um, you know, buying this property and, you know, they think it's other financial planners trying to sell me into this new development. Mm. Um, and he's, he's already listed the reasons why he's feeling nervous, mm. but I could already he's sense he's, about he's already made the decision. Mm. He's buying it and he's asking me to validate yeah. the decision. And I'm like, no, it's not a good idea. And it's like, I, it's like he has to be told that. So even though people are aware that they're getting sold to, that the someone's getting paid, pulling them. Um, yeah. they're, they're aware the commissions are there, mm. they still sign the contract. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just, if you go into a buyer's agent and they're doing this and they say that I, and I've heard this, I've had mm. buyer's agents take me out for coffee um, and say to me that they do some new and they do some old. Mm. I do some where I get the developer and I get some paid when it's new and I do some where I go and buy established property and you pay me mm. and I do both. Yeah. That is not good enough. It needs to be we you pay me a fee and I'll go and find you a property. Yeah. Or um, I go, I'm a spruker and I'll go sell developments and things like mm. that and get paid from developers. Don't fall for the buyer's agent that's doing both. It's just not on. Definitely not. And look, the thing is too is that I think what really annoys me with that is that it's, the client that doesn't want to pay as well, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like they're signing up to get sold too. And, um, but anyway, that's another issue. Yeah, but I, hey, I think, it's a good point. To, so mm, Reba's, I think, definitely I'll, I'll go check out Reba. Yeah, so so Reba is sort of the the a hurdle that I think you need to get. make sure that anybody who's a member of Reba is a very first hurdle. And, that, and the reason is, first of all, you know that they're exclusive buyers agents. They're only getting paid by their clients and not by anybody else. Um, but secondly, because at least they've got a willingness to be part of something that is, um, you know, not just being a one-man band trying to fly by the seat of their pants. There's a willingness to learn. It's a demonstration of a willingness to be part of something. Mm. And I think that that in itself is a really good thing. Thirdly, you know, they've got tiered membership, which basically means that you don't become a full member until you've got at least two years practising experience. Now, once again, you know, two years in terms of, hiring a buyer's agent, I, I'd really want someone with a hell of a lot more experience than two years, um, particularly if they're a one-man band. And obviously I, I've had people in my team that, you know, have been working with clients after two years, but people are in my team, they spend a lot of time learning everything before they actually let loose on a client. And then yeah. even then I'm very involved in that whole, uh, you know, recommendation process and due diligence process, et cetera, et cetera. And we work as a team and we keep each other, you know, on track there. And so we really help, um, our collective learning through yeah. that process so that our clients benefit from that. Now that is, that is not commonly um, utilized. And I'm not saying I'm the only buyer's agent that would do it that way, but I'm saying that we're a small group. Yeah. So let's say we, um, we go to Rebar, we find a good buyer's agent. We know they're not taking commissions. I mean, I think we did a lot of work there around the search. Mm. Um, where let's say you've we've gone out we're now shopping for properties like where are the values after where is the value after that like, mm. where are you going to help me as a customer really make sure that this is the right thing for me i guess look it's finding the property so if you sort of go through the whole process you know we start with the potentials or the possibilities i should say the possibilities is is really that getting started session and really understanding that you're making sure you're looking for the right property in the right place for the right money, yeah. right? So you get that established. The next thing is going through the potentials. As well. We love P's, as you can tell. Um, so it's actually looking for potential opportunities. So we're looking on market and off market. So the reality is that a buyer's agent with a, with researching cap capability, and that's so I've got a researcher in my team, um, we are constantly looking for what's on the market. We're also constantly looking at what's not on the market, what's about to be coming on the market. 
And so we're constantly talking to agents, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're really, you know, beating that drum. Now, if I was to, I can do that myself though, can't I? I can call the agents. You or can do whatever you want yourself. You can do all this yourself if you want to, but if you have a full-time job, you're going to find it difficult. Mm. Um, Am I all... actually going to call the agent and say, you know, Johnny, I called you last Monday, yeah. I'm calling you again. Mm. You know, I find that, you know, even though I'll say I will, life takes over. Yeah, exactly. Or secondly, Johnny doesn't want to answer my call. No, he doesn't want to answer your but call. But he'll answer your call, won't he? He's more likely to answer ours than he is to answer yours. Yes. Yeah. Um, but is Johnny going to tell you that I'm using Johnny uh, as the agent, but is he going to tell you whether there's a pre-market coming up? Would he tell me about the pre-market? He would, look, Johnny will tell the squeaky wheel, right? So if you're a buyer who's a squeaky wheel, yeah, he was going to tell you. If he knows that you've been the underbidder at something else, he will tell you or she will, Joanna. So it's Johnny or Joanna. But what happens um, if he doesn't know if I'm, um, he could think I'm a bit of a punter on the street. He could be annoyed by you and won't tell yeah. you. I mean, there's lots of reasons why they wouldn't bother telling you or they just don't remember you at yeah. that point of time. Someone else has called them and they went, oh yeah, I'll tell you about it. So um, different agents have different sort of approaches to that. So, you know, if you, and if you don't like agents, then you're going to hate the process of trying to find out what's off market mm. because you have to make them your best friend and you have to let them know that you're not a tight kicky, you're not a time waster, you are ready to buy, you will act when you find the right property. There's a, there's a lot lot in that. But the problem is when I do that, mm. aren't I going to tell them too much? Yeah, and then you got that. So so also they know how many you've missed out on, they know how desperate you are, and they absolutely 100% know which buyers they can push harder than others. You know, so all of that goes on. Those agents, that's what they're doing day in, day out. You know, that's mm. their job. So with us you know, where there is a bit of a buffer and a protector. Now, sometimes the agents get a bit frustrated by that because they'd much rather be able to deal with the gullible buyer directly. But at the end of the day, they want to sell the property as well. So what know? are you saying to the agents around uh, us? Are you saying that you're mentioning our budget to them or are you saying like, well, how are you telling them that you've got a really good buyer? Like how? Like well, here's the thing. You've got to tell them your budget because if you don't, they're not going to tell you about the property that you could afford. Mm. So, you know, you, there's no way out of that. Yeah. Then the next thing is, well, that's great. You've told me. Now I'm going to work out really what it's worth. And then yeah. our client's going to determine, well, what's it worth to them? And so there's a whole process that we go through, which is there's no shortcuts in working that out, I have to tell you. That is the very, very labour-intensive part of the process for us. You know, So finding it is one thing. Then you go through the whole protection process, which is the, all the due diligence, but pricing is very, very important. Working out whether it's got the potential to be an above-median capital growth performer or not. So really mm. it's looking to the future. Um, not predicting what it could go up in value, but how it will perform relative to everything else. Mm. That's really important. That's something most buyers agents don't discuss. Um, and most of them don't have a framework to even measure that. We, we actually do. I've developed uh, a tool to help us um, measure that. But... The thing around the pricing, you know, you have three types of buyer's agents, right? You've got the first type will press a button on RP data and spit out computer-generated yeah. price. And we've had many conversations around how um, algorithms are really unreliable when it comes to trying to work out what a, what price you should pay mm. for a property. And I tell you, there are buyer's agents, many of whom I, spoke to, I speak to regularly, who they do exactly that. They've got a subscription, they press a button, and that's what they give their client, right? That's lazy in my view, and dangerous. Well, it's dangerous and lazy, and also that's what you're sort of going to get with the cheaper buyers agents because mm. they're not going to invest that the time and the expertise and the knowledge, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to really arrive at a very well considered price recommendation. So that's a false economy. The second, you know, so you could save yourself a few grand and you could pay hundreds 
or 50 or 20 or whatever, a lot more than you need to. The second type of buyer's agent is one that actually engages an external valuer every time they evaluate a property. So that once again, they're usually a less expensive buyer's agent, but then cha-ching, cha-ching, every time you evaluate a property, the bill goes up because you have to pay a valuer. So and I mean, the valuers are, you know, bless them, and I'm pro- hopefully there's some valuers listening to this. They've got to mm. do a great job and et cetera, but, you know, they're not probably coming at it always on the most uh, realistic price, and they're probably not buffering in the emotional or at least being able to tell you what the emotional element is here mm. as well. Like, and is a price, a price is, are they really going to spend enough time really going through a lot of comparables and putting enough discipline in actually figuring out what this is really worth or are they just going to get their 250 bucks and, and move on? Well, see, in my view, yeah, you have to pay thousands of dollars in order yeah. to get that type of valuation. And that's effectively what you get when you, when you engage us. We And there are other buyers agents out there that do what we do, but I have to say that, you know, once again, it's not the majority. Um, we go through, we don't just go, I want one inferior, one equivalent, one superior. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. We want to know everything that's sold in recent times. And if there's not enough information in that to give us real confidence in what we recommend, then we need to go further back in further time back. and adjust it according to market conditions. And there's a lot of work involved in doing that. Or we need to go further afield and look in surrounding suburbs and once again adjust according to the location. And there's a lot of work in that. And then there's a lot of um, understanding of the backstories of these properties and why one might have sold for that and that one didn't sell for that. And just yesterday I was on the phone to agents um, on a property I'm pricing at the moment going, well, you know, that seemed like a cheap price. Why was that? And then I'll get the backstory. Um, And because I know them and I speak the language and I am an agent, they'll tell it to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and... That's invaluable information because then that goes into understanding really where that property is likely to sit in the current market. And then we go through a process of helping a client determine, okay, so that's that's sort of the scientific part of it. Now what about the emotional part? How does that play in? You know, what's the subjective elements of you determining what you should prepare, you know, what you should be prepared to pay for, for this particular property? Mm. And so, you know, so we take our clients through that as well. So when you get to the point of negotiating, you have tested that limit, right? You've tested it. When before we go to auction, you've already tested your limit. We've we've dry run, we've had a dry run of it. So, you know, so we want you to feel the fear of missing out before you actually feel the fear of missing out. So before we uh make an offer to the agent, we figure out what how do we test our limits of you know, let's say I haven't engaged mm. a buyer's agent. Um makes it's very good advice, right? Like if you're going well I, um, you know, I want it for one four. Let's mm. try it. Yeah. Is that a, it's not a good idea. Is Shocking. Because I've already into the negotiation. Yeah. So what, so what are the things, you know, I guess, how does a buyer's agent really, you know, be that independent party guide well, us? Well, on once again, I've seen buyer's agents go to auction and you see it on the block, right? You see those, those buyer's agents bid on the block and you see them on the phone at the pointy end of the auction, still asking the client if they want to continue bidding. It's usually that, Nicole, Frank and. We're not naming names. <laughs> That sort of behaviour, and I see it at real auctions as well. I mean, not that the block's not a real auction. They're actually buying, buying these properties. But I see that sort of behaviour at, at, at auctions elsewhere where the, you know, the buyer's agent is pressuring their client to go, do you want to go up? Do you want to go? Oh, you know, if one more might buy it, all this sort of stuff. That's salesy activity, mm. right? That is not having given your client really good guidance leading up to that point to say, okay, You've given me this limit. What if someone comes in with a $10,000 over that? Are you in or out? Do you wake up the next morning wishing you paid it or wishing you didn't? Mm. 
Oh, glad you didn't. If they go, oh, oh, yeah, I probably would regret it, then, okay, we need to rethink what your limit is. Mm. Um, If it's like, no, actually, no, I'm really out. Mm. Good. We've established your limit. Mm. Um, Because what happens is that, you know, you get that, you're at your limit, and then someone comes in with a $1,000 bid. Now what? Mm. Oh, I want to push it. I want to push it. Well, we want to push, 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 push that limit and test it before you're actually in the auction because it's then you wake up the day after having bought it, regretting that you pushed yourself mm. or you wake up the next day regretting you didn't push yourself when you should have. Mm. And I, both of those scenarios are not great outcomes. So we want to make sure that you, you we've clarified all of that beforehand. So let's say, I mean, I, I really, I do, I mean, a lot of, as a customer, I really see the value in the auction. I think I, 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 I go to auctions, I get scared. Mm. I don't want to do that myself. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to have a crack at it if it was a bit of a game, but I know it's more than a game. This is my life. Actually, every listener should go back yeah. to episode two with uh, Damien Cooley. You'd never uh, bid at auction without listening no, to that one. Um, it's not, I'm not in time zone and, uh, <laughs> you know, if I win, I get some tickets. It's, mm. a, it's a property here. So I get that. I, I do get the negotiation. I think there's value in in that um, because I, I do think that, uh, you know, agents aren't really my friend. I can't really trust agents. No, but also earlier on you said, oh, I'm pretty good at negotiating. I negotiate in my job. And I hear this a lot from clients because or potential clients because, of course, you know, I deal with a type of professional that often does negotiate. Um, the thing is when you're negotiating with your own money, it's very different to negotiating in a, in a commercial sense. But also um, the thing is those agents know more than you do, right? You only know your own situation and you know your own interpretation of whatever that agent has told you. What that agent knows is really what the vendor's motivation is, really where that vendor will sell, well, they should know, um, or they've got a very good idea of it. They actually know how many other buyers are out there, whether or not those buyers really have made offers or not, exactly what those offers are. That agent and or that agent also knows what you've told them and what you've offered. So that agent has hell of a lot more information than you do. So, And even still, I probably only have... One, I could probably come up with maybe three ways of making that offer. I could, you know, email it, do it over the phone. Maybe I can go in there with a contract, the 66W and a hard sell. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know what the vendor really wants. I don't know where the agent's at. So I've got my one strategy that I think is going to work. But if Mm. that doesn't work, I haven't got a plan B. Also, it might have worked last time you bought a property. Yes. And then you think, oh, this is how I'm going to do it. It works like this every time. Maybe I should have went for a longer settlement or maybe I should have went for a lease back or these sort of things. Mm. I didn't really know that was even an option within negotiation, So, uh, which probably was the best strategy. So I didn't even have any tools in my Mm. kit, did I, with the negotiation. But what happens if when I fall in love with the wrong property or I'm potentially going down the wrong path, how does a buyer's agent really help on that part of the conversation. Or you know, I'd say my my wife's in love with the property and I'm not. Yeah, well, that's the challenge. Um, one of the values in our business, you know, one of the, the ways we do things around here, if you like, um, or a KPI, we, in my business, we don't have a KPI of how many properties you buy a month. Uh, and, you know, from a business perspective, people think, oh, that's ridiculous. Fancy not having, having that, that as a KPI. Uh, KPI in our business is, oh, how many properties did you actually recommend the client not buy? Because it's not what you buy, well, it is what you buy, but it's also what you don't buy. And there are plenty of times when we've we've seen and heard clients justifying or, or people justifying why they're about to do something and you sort of just think, oh, I really get a sense of that's 
not really going to give you the outcome that you want. That's really, there's niggles going on in the back of your mind. Remember when we interviewed yeah. Lorna Patton back in the thirties, I think it was, it was about the niggle versus genuine fear and normal mm. fear about such a big decision. So, you know, if there's a niggle, um, we need to explore that rather than override it. You're, you're off the plan, the superannuation guy, you know, that's got, he's being sold down the, down the path. He's got niggles, mm. but he's not heeding them, no. you know? So We've got to explore that. We've got to say, okay, well, let's just pause for a minute. There are worse things than missing out on this property. Mm. You know, worse is buying it when it's not the right one. Yeah. Even paying too much is not as bad as buying it when it's not the right one. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there are so many worse things that can come from buying the wrong property. And we want to be very, very careful that our clients are not going to buy and then have regrets, mm. you know, so. So when you're feeling that there's potentially a niggle, you're going deeper and asking mm. and probing and yeah. questioning. and um, Or potentially if you've got two uh, optimists uh, mm. or potentially two yeah, super we need realists. To, you need to be the balance going, on a minute, let's be really negative here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's try to mm. like work with it and make sure that, you know, it's the Are right thing. Are you seeing everything? Yeah, is everything. Yeah. And I guess it's when we're looking at seven open homes on the Saturday, we're ruling out three that, there's just no point even looking at, mm. you know, because it's a um, potentially a, I mean, a, a client literally um, this week's interested on in a property and um, referral from a client. Um, they send us an address of a property. I was like, bang, brought up the property. I was like, straight on RP data, um, typed the property in, not because I want to do evaluation mm. on it, I just want to have some information on it. And bang, <laughs> see it's on the market for 660 days. Mm. Is it a uh, warning sign? Yeah, a massive warning sign, right? Mm. And I was like, okay, well, let's have a look. And you can Usually see- it means it's overpriced, but it could also mean it's crap. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. So, yeah, mm. you're right in this situation. It was been three agents it's been through. So, you know, Di Jones had a crack. LJ Hooker had a crack. Now um, McGrath's having a crack at it. So I'm like, four agents, right? Amount of hours. Mm. But they, because they're fresh in the market. They and don't the situation know. had changed just recently, um, you know, through inheritance. So they're looking in a different price bracket they weren't looking in before. Well, they just weren't looking. Yeah. And then mm. money's come. Yeah. And we can buy and Very bang, vulnerable. gone into the market. Yeah. Seen this thing because mm. it's cheaper and they've been offered, promised a bargain. Agent's got a lovely backstory. Aged care, going mm. into aged care, it needs to happen fast. So they're thinking this is a fast sale. But mm. so I, and I just by doing that RP data, I found out it was on the market for six or six days. I said, Did you guys know it's been on the market for only two years? And they're mm. like, Oh, no. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's just these sort of things where... And we're recording this in January, yeah. right, the end of January, and that happens in January a lot. You know why? Because people come fresh into the market after Christmas, often haven't really been seriously looking in, in the, the end of the year before. They might have got their finance ready, but they are actually had time, they're rested, yeah. they're energised, they come into the market and all the crap that's been sitting on the market stale. for a long time, all the stale <laughs> stuff gets snapped up. Yeah. Fresh eyes. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> I think there's, I mean, I can see there's, you know, hopefully this is helping people really understand all the different elements to the conversations with buyers. They just not we've just only about, just scratched the surface. <laughs> we really have. I mm. mean, there's a few things that um, I'm going to, you know, these are kind of curly ones that I think are niggles for people stopping them engaging Objections, buyers. Yeah. So um, I'm sure you've heard them all over the years before mm. and you're probably, you know, got pre-vetted answers to answer them. But <laughs> I think it's important to talk about them quite openly and mm. bluntly because um, there's some of the experiences I've seen for clients uh, going through the process where yep. potentially poor outcomes have come out. Mm. Uh, 
We're also things that may be an issue that just need to be talked about. So fees, let's go there. Yep. Um, it's expensive. Mm, it is. And so, like, is it really worth it? I mean, how? I mean, is it's? I can't. It's a lot of Where's money. The value. You know, like, uh, can I? You know, is it? Is you know, is it any, a luxury? Mm. Like the fees. I mean, can you explain how it actually works for a lot of buyers agents? Yeah. And how much it is and, um, why I should pay it? There's actually, I'll actually I'll include a uh, link to a blog I wrote on this many years ago in the right. in the show notes, which is about sort of you know how buyers agent fees work. But just very broadly, there's sort of two. Camps. One is the fixed fee camp. I'm in the fixed fee camp, by the way. Yep. And the other one is the percentage of your budget camp. Now, I find the percentage weird because, to be honest, that means the more you spend, the more you pay your buyer's agent. That's sort of a bit counterintuitive. Mm. Um, so the fixed fee, a lot of our clients do come to us and say, well, one of the reasons I came to you is because you do fixed fee. And so it is something certainly that, that certainly buyers seem to value. I do it because I, I want them to understand that we've made a commitment. And our fee is based on not on your budget but on the parameters of your search and how complicated it's going to be fundamentally. You know, time, geographical area and your knowledge and, and you know, there's 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 a lot of elements that come into it, right? So and that's why you break up your fee, I guess. And not in lots of – some buyers do do this. Some do just a flat fee, you're engaging me or it's not and it's this or some will potentially break it up for search yeah. or negotiation and uh, it's, it's, it's yeah, tailored it's, fee. Exactly. So how it's broken up can vary. And mm. so – Typically, and, and some of the fixed fees, they just have a schedule that's based around budget breaks. So it's it's, it's still fixed, but yeah, it's not it's... about, it's pretty arbitrary in reality. It's it's just on your budget. Um, as I said, well, we take into account a lot of a lot of elements when we actually quote a fee. Um, and so therefore we've anticipated what's involved and there's less pressure on us to try to get you to buy quickly, you know. And so you will have buyers agents that do, you know, they do have very cheap fees, but there's, you know, it's, you've got to realise it's a commercial entity. If they've they've quoted you a very cheap fee, then they're going to want you off their books quickly. Yeah, know? that's my that's my next one. We'll go to that one. But, I mean, just on the fees in terms of – The value? Well, it's just – I mean, it's a lot of money, but just there's a lot of time, right? So, I mean, how oh, many God. hours is there, you know, would you roughly think you spend uh, for, let's say, a home buyer through the process? I mean, oh, yes, some are lucky where potentially you – by fast, but sometimes it can be very months. And that's the yeah. hard thing, isn't it? Especially in the current market, it's become very tough to buy. So like, I'll just give an example. And look, it goes all over the shop. I mean, course, we, we yeah. do keep timesheets, but that's sort of in the back end. We don't charge an hourly rate. And one client recently, and, and we have gone to auction for them a few times. And look, and in their particular case, they, you know, even though we went through the getting started session, they didn't push their budget early on and they should have. Mm. And now we know that, they know that, we're all there, we all get it. So that's a bit unfortunate. Um, that also coincided with the market suddenly taking off. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a, you know, we ask the questions. We don't always get the answer when we need it, you know. But it takes um, a lot. These uh, uh, that's Last year was a tough year, I think, as well um, because it takes a while for things to sink in that it's actually, you know, a lot of people are sitting on the fence. Look, and it's they true. And then they were, the, the market's moving. And it's not until people feel that pain that they want to get moving. It's, look, it's um, very true, and we try to truncate that, and that's obviously one of the benefits of having us to to try to educate you through that. But yes, it's human nature, and it is a difficult thing to to tackle. And anyway, so in that particular case, you know, we've we've clocked up 130 odd hours on on that search. Now that's more than normal, but mm. certainly it can it can be that. You know, we still haven't bought for them. We will buy for them, but you know, because well, it's a couple of hours a week potentially. 
Oh, a couple. God, I mean, we're hours and hours. Particularly if you think about it, every time we price a property, that's going to take upwards of five hours, mm. you know. So that's a lot of work and a lot of uh, – um, and we don't take shortcuts. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care. It could get 200. We've made a commitment. We'll buy them a property and it will be thoroughly evaluated each and every one until we get that right one. And if it takes 200 hours, it takes 200 hours. You know, we've made that commitment. But that's – we don't put a time limit on our search either, whereas some buyers agents do. So the time limit thing um – there's no time limit on it, but isn't this is and this is a conflict. There's lots of jobs that got mm. conflicts. You go to a mechanic, it's a conflict. Yeah, you it's go a to challenge. A, yeah, it's a thing. But every you know, you go to a every instinct with limited resources, or mm. you know, there's potentially a need to and time and um, yep. uh, conflict. If you've got two buyers at the same price point, a lot of buyers agents can't have two clients both trying to buy no, in the eastern you... suburbs at two million dollars. Yeah, in these suburbs because. Who do you give the property to? You've got to have market? you've got to have a policy around that, and we do have one. And yep. our policy is not to take on two competing briefs. But we also recognise that sometimes briefs morph a little bit over time. And we've had a couple of instances where they got very close to each other, and we mm. thought, "Oh, do you?" So we have a policy in principle, which is utter transparency. We mm. haven't actually had to enact it yet, but we've yep. a couple of times we've discussed it might be time, but hasn't actually needed to happen. But um, also, you can't take another customer on with my brief. At my price point no. in my area until you sell t- or till I buy. Yeah. And so, you know, do you got to be careful a little bit, just making sure that the buyer's agent potentially doesn't try to get you off the books? That's what, exactly right. And he's ve- this is really where it comes down to values. And as I said, in my business, you know, our values, we talk about that a lot. And we have to be so clear that our clients' best interests need to be paramount. We really talk about you know, examples of where we do that, where it's quite clear that our clients' interests are really looked at over and above our own individual short-term interests. We have very long-term view mm. in our business. And and that is something that, yes, that is something that I'm, I'm absolutely 100%, you know, and, and, you know, I did say we're recruiting for buyer's agents. If you're transactional and you just want to smash and grab, then mm. don't, don't send me an email. I'm not interested in talking to you because we are interested in authentic long-term relationships with our clients. We've got clients that we buy multi-generational for, mm. you know, over many years, you know, it, it, you can't do that if you've got a smash and grab sort of attitude. Yeah. The hard thing with values is it's just so hard to, to know that sometimes. And it, yeah, and, and it's just, so when you are engaging professionals, they'll say all the right things, of course they will. Um, but it's so hard to know. It's mm. been a client literally this week and this is just, this is not banging my own trumpet or whatever the drum or probably mm. not trumpet. Banging your trumpet. <laughs> um, but, you know, come to me and they said, oh, yeah, we really want to buy in the eastern suburbs. Um, there's a referral from another client. Um, we've got, you know, we want to buy something in mid twos. And then, you know, just through four questions, found out that they're English and they want to move back to the UK in three mm. or four years. They want to get back to London. Yeah. And I, I said to them, it's just crazy idea to buy. You know, mm. it's such, you, you can't borrow that much because of your incomes. You're going to have to put all your cash. I could make it happen. Mm. But you're going to have this house in Sydney and you're going to be moving back to London. You have all your money tied up in this house in Sydney. What are you mm. going to want to do? You're going to sell it. Yeah. And the reason you want to do that now, you might decide that's the best thing to do. And we'll talk about that. We mm. haven't decided what the right thing to do is. But, you know, it's a big decision. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're going to have this house and you're going to pump all your assets in. So I think I, I can, you know, most brokers wouldn't do that. Because no. that was an easy million dollar loan. Yeah. But it was the right advice was to at least explore not buying. And that you've touched on something that's 100%. Okay, so go for a buyer's agent who's prepared to tell you not to buy. Yeah. And I, and I, honestly, that is that is at the core of it. I mean, I stand up, I do these, these I mean, if you listen to this long enough, you know I talk about, you know, probably 90% of property is not worth buying. Um, I've got a presentation which is 10 ways to lose money in property. 
Mm. You know, like how many buyers agents stand up there and go on, like these 10 freaking big risky areas, most of them are trying to push you into where they buy and encourage you to spend the money in their area because that's fundamentally their business and that's all they can sell you. Whereas I've got a much greater long-term view and I really do believe why so I will point you in the direction of getting advice. Go to an accountant, work out whether it's even sensible from a taxation position to buy an investment property. Go to a financial planner and and, and sort that out first, you know, because because I don't want you regretting whatever you're buying. You don't regret not buying, don't regret buying. Either way, don't regret it. So my final objection is is I've heard out there that buyers agents pay too much. Yeah. And some do. <laughs> and the, the, the transaction. And um, I'm worried that if I engage you, um, okay, I understand the fee because I can see the value and all those other things mm. plus getting it. But I'm worried that you're just going to potentially, when the push comes to shove, encourage me to just offer more. Yeah. And just to get you off a book because you don't like dealing with me because I'm quite peculiar. A bit different. Um, <laughs> Difficult. <laughs> and I actually have, you know, I'm being, I'm taking this extremely serious. Mm. How are you going to make sure that we don't pay too much? Yeah. So, and this is a very real issue, you know, let me tell you. And the, the other thing too is that quite often we get on the flip side of this, we get clients wanting to pay more, yeah. weirdly enough. We actually hold them back. Um, but, yes, and it's a very real fear and I think everyone should be very cognizant of that when they're talking to buyer's agents. Now, I guess, you know, talking, reference checking past clients and really asking them about what process did you go through to determine what price you should pay for that property and did you end up having to pay that whole that whole money or not? You know what I mean? Like I think the best way to find out how that actually worked is how other people's experience is so that's a really good way to do it but that you have to ask specific questions you have to specifically ask about that negotiation process how was that done now our pricing research is so rigorous and so thorough a client can go through there themselves and actually look at everything like you know so we've got the report plus the spreadsheet plus all the links and etc etc um and the radio i guess really figure that is is are you going to tell me what you think it's worth before i tell you what i think it's worth um and what I'm willing to pay yeah. because it's easy for you. If, for example, I say I'm willing to pay one seven, you'll come back on the price guide and say I think it's worth one seven, and yeah, we yeah. just go mm. through the through the you know through to the keeper basically. I'm You're actually, not going to stop it. I'm actually not worried about what my client is thinking it's worth because they actually don't know. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is demonstrate based on recent sales and what the market's doing, where it sits. And then we're going to have a conversation as the calibre of the property. I mentioned back about the capital growth predictive indicator, how we actually, we, we measure that. We, 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 uh, we've got a tool to sort of give ourselves a, a clue as to how this property will perform against the others in the area. You know, that's part of the decision-making process. How good an asset is this property? Yep. Would you push yourself for this or not? Mm. And then it's back to onto the subjective side of things. How uniquely does it suit your needs? And then look at all those recent sales. How many of those would you have bought? How likely is another one going to come up? You know, yep. and, and then your budget. So it's a process we go through with our clients. They make the decision, right? Mm. And it's a very, very clear, educated framework to use. Um, and we don't rush that. And we certainly don't pluck figures, figures out of the air. And, and if they do need to pay more because they're not going to buy it, then yep. we tell them that. But we've got the evidence to support that. So it's all about doing the research prior to the offer, knowing exactly, testing your limits, those sort of things, rather than just dealing with the the hits, the balls as they come, I guess, which mm. I, I have found that some buyers agents will just, just, just basically do whatever happens basically and mm. just get the, get the transaction done and hope that time will be forgiving. So hopefully for our <laughs> listeners, 
um, that has, you know, provide a lot of insights into buyers agents. And um, this wasn't about banging uh, Veronica's trumpet. Um, it was about <laughs> though, highlighting all the things with buyers agents where, you know, the values potentially, and also this, the care and discipline you need to go into to actually select a buyer's agent. So we hope you found that valuable. Thank you for that, Veronica. My pleasure, Chris. And I hope everyone got a lot out of that. And this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp, how do you bang a trumpet? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have an answer for that. Thank you for joining us. Please join us for our next episode. It's one with a difference. We interview Sharon Bradley. Now, Sharon's a writer and a journalist, and she recently published in The Good Weekend a story about homelessness in Australia. Now, the reason that we are doing this episode is because what we want to do is shine a light on what's really happening and how easily it can happen if you aren't prepared. And then how do we get prepared to make sure that we are not susceptible to a life-changing situation where we might end up homeless. So please join us. It is well worth listening to this. I think we all need to understand this as a nation. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk. Editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.